If you know very much about the story of the Bible, you've probably heard that Jesus offers eternal life. Sounds nice, but what does Jesus mean by eternal life? Well, Jesus adopted this phrase from the Hebrew scriptures. In English, it's translated eternal life or sometimes everlasting life, but the phrase literally translated from Hebrew is life unto the age. Life unto the age. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a dense phrase. And to understand it, we need to first talk about what an age is in the Bible. Let's do it. So the Hebrew word for age is olam, and it refers to a period of time. What length of time? Well, any length of time, actually. And it can be in the past or in the future. What matters is that it's a period of time with some common attribute that remains constant. So, for example? So, like the time of Abraham and his descendants all the way up to Moses. The common attribute is it's the time of Moses' ancestors. And so Moses can say, remember the days of the age, the years of past generations and elders. Okay. Or an age can be shorter and in the future. Like Samuel, who's going to spend his whole life serving in the temple. During his dedication, his mother Hannah calls this an age. So an age is a period of time that has a unique and constant characteristic. Exactly. And there can be all sorts of different ages, depending on what you want to focus on. You got it. And so someone could live in two ages at the same time if those ages happen to overlap. All right, so back to the phrase, life unto the age. What age is this talking about? Okay, so in the beginning of the biblical story, humans are made from the dust of the ground. This is a common biblical image for creatures that are mortal. That is, they live in an age where they could die. But God takes humanity and places them in a sacred garden where they're invited to experience a new and deeper kind of life. By eating from the tree of life. Yeah, we're told it offers them life unto the age, a life of infinite potential because it connects them to God's own divine life. But the story takes a turn. And instead of accepting life unto the age, they eat of the tree of knowing good and bad. Right. Taking from this tree means seizing life for themselves on their own terms, apart from God's wisdom. And so they're exiled from life unto the age, and they go into the age of death. They mistreat each other. They do what's right in their own eyes. Things get really violent. Exactly. And so the whole rest of the story of the Bible can be thought of as a choice between two different ages. The age of life on our own terms that leads to death, or the age of God's own life. And while humanity has rejected God's life, God promises he'll open the way back. Exactly. And it's that promise that ultimately leads the story to Jesus. He's presented as God's own life become human, so that both ages overlap in him. He lives in the age of mortality and death, and in the age of eternal life at the same time. And so he can offer people access to life unto the age. Right. It's like what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yet, just like humanity rejected God's life in the garden, Jesus was rejected and put to death. But God's life is more powerful than death. And so Jesus rises from the dead, and he can offer God's life to others. Like the Gospel of John also says, Whoever trusts in him will not perish, but has eternal life. That is, life unto the age. Cool. Now, most people think of eternal life as something that happens after you die. But in the Bible, access to this age 
is something I can have right now. Yeah, remember, Jesus was the place where the age of God's life meets the age of death. And that means that when people trust him, they can experience eternal life here and now. But we also still live in the age of death. So what happens when I die? Well, just like death couldn't overpower God's eternal life in Jesus, similarly, we can remain alive to God even if we're physically dead. In the Bible, this is called being with Christ. And it's not talked about very much because it's not how the overall biblical story ends. The focus of the Bible is about when the age of life completely overcomes the age of death. And those who are with Christ are recreated to share in God's eternal life. A world where the age of death no longer has any power. Exactly. Because life that is fully connected to God's own eternal life and love is a life that will never end. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24. Verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the man said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The resurrection story is, is the central, pivotal belief of Christianity. It's the one thing that, that changes everything. So, if it's not true, we've got a problem. And you know, as much as we all celebrate every, every year, sometimes I think maybe we don't always fully understand the, the depth of what is being said in the resurrection story, and sometimes we don't actually live as if it's true. It is absolutely the, the weirdest thing that we believe. Isn't, I mean, we are talking about someone coming back from the dead. So it's one of the hardest claims that Christianity makes for, for people to believe in because we all know that dead people stay dead. 
And so lots of things have been said about this over the years, but there is this general assumption that people make that uh, people living in the ancient world were not as smart as we are, uh, that they were more superstitious than we are, that they were more gullible than we are, that we've somehow improved ourselves so much that they would believe things that we never could believe. And, and the, the problem is, that's just complete nonsense. We are not smarter than our ancestors. We are not less superstitious than they are in any way. And we're not less gullible than they are. If it could fool them, it could fool us. But more importantly, if we would find something hard to believe, so would they. They knew just as well as we do that dead people stay dead. In fact, they probably, <laughs> if, you, if it's possible, they knew it better than we do. Because if you lived in Jesus' day and age, Odds were pretty good that by the time you were an adult, you had seen and handled at least one dead body. In all likelihood, you would have found one of your relatives dead. And most people, unless you were very, very wealthy, you would have been responsible for preparing that body for burial. And, and then, when enough time had passed, you would go and you would dig up the bones, all that was left of that body, and repackage them and move them somewhere else so the grave could be reused. That's how it happened. They were intimately familiar with death. They knew exactly what happened to the body after death. They knew that dead people stayed dead. And the amazing thing is there is not one single religion in the ancient world that taught otherwise. Everyone believed that dead people stayed dead because they knew it. They saw what happened to the bodies. There is no religion in the ancient world that says that that does not happen. Now, they would always, many of them believe, of course, right, that there is some kind of existence after you die, that there's some part of you that continues to live elsewhere in some other part of the world, right? But it's always in the realm of the dead, right? For the Greeks and the Romans, Hades is the realm of the dead. For the Egyptians, the underworld is the realm of the dead. For the Jewish people, Sheol is the realm of the dead. They're not alive. And believe it or not, there's plenty of people in the ancient world who just believe that there is nothing after life. You die and that's it. There were a whole lot of people, in fact, in the Bible who said that. In fact, the, the chief priests of the temple taught explicitly that there is nothing after you die. Because their interpretation of the Old Testament is that all these promises for everlasting life, for, for that sort of thing, that, that's, you have that through your descendants, through your children and your grandchildren. You yourself cease to exist after you die. The only people in the world who would believe anything different are people like the Pharisees and, and some of the Jewish teachers who taught that at the end of time, way off in the future, God will raise the dead. But that's happening way off in the future. It's definitely not going to happen now. There is no one in the world who believed that a dead person could come back to life. They all knew it. So when, when people start running around saying, this guy Jesus is alive again, they sounded crazy. The best explanation for why anybody believed that is that it was true. 
There just is not another good explanation for why people would believe such an insane, crazy story. They all knew that dead people stayed dead. None of their religions taught them anything else was possible. The only explanation is that these people saw the risen Lord, reached out and touched his hands, and knew that he was alive again. (laughs) And it's important to emphasize, this isn't like the ghost of Jesus haunting the city of Jerusalem. This is the physical body of Jesus walking out of the tomb and walking around the city. They reach out and they touch his hands. You just wouldn't tell that story if you weren't absolutely convinced it was true. And you wouldn't be convinced that was true, frankly, unless it was. It's just too difficult to believe. But furthermore, and ladies, I will apologize in advance for this, but if you were going to make this up, you wouldn't say the women saw him first. Because in, in this time period, and again, this is not my words, women were subhuman. Greek and Roman philosophy taught over and over again that women were a lesser form of humanity, that their mental capacity was not as great as ours, that they were prone to fits of hysteria, that they couldn't be trusted. Do you know in most places they weren't allowed to testify in a court of law? They might be the only witnesses to a murder, and that murderer is getting off scot-free because there's no one to testify. Because their testimony is unreliable. So if you're the gospel writers and you're trying to, to claim that Jesus is back from the dead, already you've got an uphill battle. Because everyone knows that dead people stay dead. More importantly, people saw this guy die. They know he was dead. They watched it happen. They took his body down from the cross. Many of the people who saw him in the days after his resurrection were the same people who would have felt his cold skin and his stiffened muscles and would have helped to place his body in the tomb. There was no doubt that he was dead. And you don't even have to rely on us to tell you that because there are plenty of other historical sources that make the same point. They know that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified by the Romans and he died. So now you've got to convince everyone who saw him die that he's alive again. Not, not that he somehow just didn't die on the cross and that we were all wrong. No, 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 because they felt the body. They know he was dead. You're convincing him he died and is alive again. And people are going to have a hard enough time believing it, but now you're going to tell them it was the women who saw him first? No. You wouldn't do it. You just wouldn't do it. Because already you've got an unbelievable story. Now you're going to tell people that that someone, the law will not allow to testify in a court of law because they're so unreliable is the person who saw him first. No one's going to believe you. And yet, they end up believing it. I mean, you notice, at first they think it's just nonsense, right? Oh, these hysterical women. And again, I'm sorry. <laughs> right? It's just these hysterical women. They're, they're, just, they're fraught with grief. They're seeing things. They're imagining things, right? Peter doesn't run to the tomb because he thinks Jesus really has risen from the dead. He runs from the tomb because they tell him the body's not there, and he thinks, oh my gosh, someone has stolen his body. It's not till later that he realizes what's really going on. And it takes some convincing for all of them. 
This wasn't even normal for Jewish messianic movements. There was no other movement of Jewish people who thought their Messiah was going to rise again. No one. It's not actually proclaimed all that much in the Old Testament. They didn't believe that the Messiah was going to rise again. They thought the Messiah was going to overthrow the Romans and win a glorious victory. They didn't think he was going to be killed by them. You know, there were other people in Jesus' day and age who claimed that they were the Messiah and who led their own revolutionary movement and who were killed by the Romans. Not one of those groups tried to come back and say, he's alive again. Not one of them. You know what they did? They all, without exception, they all either said, well, we got it wrong, or they went and found the dead guy's brother or cousin or son and said, we were wrong the first time. This one's the real Messiah. Let's try it again. Jesus' followers are the only ones, the only ones who say this guy who was killed, he was the Messiah, and we know because he is alive again. The best explanation for that, and really the only explanation that fits all the facts of what we know of how people in the ancient world thought and believed, is that it's true. And if it's true, it changes everything. The, the promise of the Gospels is never that God's going to come and solve all our problems right now. It's never that, that God's going to fix everything for us right now and our lives are going to be good and easy. The promise of the Gospels is, in the end, everything will be okay. And if it's not okay, then it's not the end. So that's a big ask that God has for us. He's promising us everlasting life. He's saying, if you just trust in me and trust in my son, you'll have everlasting life. And it can begin now. But it might make your life more difficult. And it's okay, because in the end, everything will be okay. But you might have to wait until the end for that to be true. Now, there are some people for whom that's just about the most hopeful thing you can tell them because their lives are so broken and so dark that nothing else is going to give them hope but the, the certainty that in the end, it's all going to be okay. And to be clear, it's a good promise because it tells us that we can be absolutely sure that whatever is going on around us, it's not over yet. Death is not okay, so we know that death is not the end. We can look around and we can see that the world we live in is not okay, so we know it's not the end. Sickness is not okay, so it's not the end. Abuse is not okay, so it's not the end. War is not okay, so it's not the end. Addiction is not okay, and so it is not the end. Anxiety and stress and depression are not okay, and so they are not the end. The list goes on and on and on. Sometimes, sometimes we just want to yell at God, right? We want to yell at him and point out that all the ways that the world is broken and all the places where it seems like evil is winning and the darkness is overpowering the light and we wonder how we're going to overcome these things and, and we wonder why God hasn't done anything yet and it just seems like everything is going wrong and God's response is, yeah, because the story's not over yet. 
you know, when I was a little kid, I was a big reader. And so I read a lot of novels. And, um, you know, without exception, the novels that, that I was reading, you get to a point about halfway through the book where, uh, you know, the, the hero has some kind of horrible setback. They're, they're overcome. They lose. And they're put into what appears to be a completely hopeless situation. You can't figure out how they're going to get out of it. And as a little kid, right, I would get so stressed out by that that I, I wouldn't be able to keep reading. Right? I, I had to stop and put the book down because I was freaking out too much. So what I would do is I would flip ahead to the last page. And I would read just the last page of the book so I could see how it all turned out. So I could reassure myself that, that the ending was a good one. That the good guys would win and the bad guys would lose. And once I knew that, I could go back to the middle and finish out the story. The resurrection of Jesus is the last page of the story coming to meet us in the middle. God has held out this promise of everlasting life and he's told us in the end everything's going to be okay and if it's not okay, then it's not the end. But see, God still knows that this world is very hard to live in sometimes and it's broken and it doesn't always seem like it's working the way it's supposed to. So he's already shown us the last page. He's shown us how it all ends. Not with death or pain or suffering, but with life eternal. And it means everything to us. If Jesus is alive, so is everyone else. If Jesus is alive, all the things he says in the Gospels are true. If Jesus is alive, we know we know that in the end, everything will be okay. All his promises are backed up by the resurrection. We don't have to take this on blind faith. Because there is no other explanation for why so many people believed it. All these 11 apostles who keep on telling people that Jesus isn't dead anymore, all but one of them die. Several of them are crucified. They face the same fate that Jesus faced, and they go to their deaths proclaiming the resurrection. And the only reason why they would do that is because it was true. There is no other explanation. They died for it. And they weren't the only ones. This belief in the resurrection of Jesus spreads like wildfire in a world that knows perfectly well that dead people stay dead. You simply couldn't convince them that he had come back to life if it wasn't true, if it was just a story, if it had just been made up. It would never have gained the momentum that it did. It's true. It really happened. Jesus is alive. And therefore, so is everyone else. So we know that in the end, in the end, everything will be okay. If it's not okay, it is not the end. He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen.